famed author Clive Cussler. The hero Dirk Pitt. Pitt brought up the rear in a short, sissy-ish gait. Pitt came on like the Queen of the May. Hi, sweetie, Pitt said. Is our boat ready? Call up your flunkies or I break your neck. Iceberg. Episode 4. Skin-tight rainbow explosion. I know you're a nice guy now because you're, you're, you smile and we've spoken, but that's very <laughs> intimidating. Holy cow, you must look like a killer when you're walking around. I understand that people want to get out of, like, maybe men don't have the best reputation at times, but... No, no, you you look like a villain from the books we're reading. <laughs> I remember being up on an elevator at the library and a mom and her daughter were about to get in and the mom looked up at me and like just put one hand on the kid and backed out of the elevator and they took the stairs. <laughs> Does that make you feel proud or, scared or sad? No, that just makes me feel bad. <laughs> I'm, it's like, I, I take my kids to the library. You can be in the elevator with me. <laughs> I'm really quite when, nice. When I was, my dad was a, a big guy and he had interesting line of work and, work and a crooked nose. So like he worked in construction and he always alluded to various other things and he was a mean looking guy and I he bought me an ice cream cone so he bought himself one. Somebody who looks like a tall Joe Pesci with like the same <laughs> kind of gait stomping down the street eating an ice cream cone. An old lady stopped us and she says, you with that face... That knows you should never be eating ice cream. <laughs> I remember that to the rest of my days. I'm like, he was like, what does that mean? I can't have ice cream. Should he apologize? <laughs> he was stunned, speechless. He was, like, he was like, even other people like ice cream, lady. <laughs> Look, that was so mean. <laughs> I'll fight you for it. <laughs> oh my God, he could have just. Old people think I'm nice at least because I always get old people asking me to get stuff off the top shelf at the store. Oh, I get that too. I'm 5'9", so tall for a woman. And I look like everyone's mom. So <laughs> <laughs> I've had women come up to me to tell me that, you know, that they're in the supermarket and they're like, I think I'm in labor. Can you help me? <laughs> oh. Yeah. It, it's never as exciting as people think. It's always like, yeah, there's an OBGYN across the parking lot. You've got hours, lady. You've got hours. <laughs> you can host it. Grab a coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the next village over, their mayor's getting arrested. Oh. Which is so nice because the last time it was our mayor that was getting arrested. Nice change of pace. I'm so happy for them. <laughs> is that just how things work down there? You're mayor long enough to become the villain? I think property development draws a lot of people to this area right now. it's This area is booming. Property developers are uh, slime balls. Unscrupulous. But the previous mayor that we had was just an idiot. He said he went to <laughs> Columbia. And what he meant by that was he had a hot dog cart near Columbia College. Oh, nice. And nobody checked his resume. <laughs> so he was really just an aspirational fool who didn't know how to handle the books and stuff. So, and then it. He's lying for the job he wants. He was lying for the job he wants, and they never paid for anything. He never paid for taxes. He knocked over Dang. a girl at the movie theaters to get free concessions. 
scummy, but like low, low stakes stuff. So not a murderer. Nobody's, nobody's going to jail for that. It's all embezzling. Not a murderer, just a dick. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm angry. Let's start. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And we're starting at chapter 10, right? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Custler Hustlers season two. I'm Nancy and this is my co-host Tupper. Say hi. Hello. And welcome to our book review club. Starting with night, chapter nine-ish. Nine and a bit. <laughs> nine and a bit. Or what I would like to say, where I start to really miss Al. Yeah. God damn, I miss his pepperoni perfume. I'm starting to worry he doesn't show up in this book at all. It, that would be a travesty. You can't have Holmes that Watson. What kind of story do we have here? My, my theory is he was testing out, do like, do we want to have the rotating cast of Numa sidekicks? So like this one is Sandecker and his plucky Robin TD. Oh, Sandecker, the walking mustache. Yeah, and walking cigar. Gotta have the, the cigar. He's like a Marvin the Martian, but only militarized. Next book, he'll have sidekick Rudy, who's just, you know, constantly hiding behind things and complaining he just wants to learn about fish. Then next, it's a fish. There's going to be subtitles in a book. It's very strange. Chapter nine, they're they're boarding under um, subterfuge, and Dirk is still in his uh, queerification costume. He's in a brand new queerification costume. I had to write down almost that entire paragraph. <laughs> Do you have his description handy? Yes. Uh, if Sandecker and TD looked like a pair of fishermen, Pitt came on in a sissyish gait, looking like the Queen of May. He wore red suede pull-on boots, multicolored striped duck pants, so tight the seams restrained beyond endurance. Supported by a two-inch wide tapestry belt and a skin-stretched purple sweater trimmed at the collar by a yellow neckerchief, wearing Ben Franklin glasses and his hair covered by a tasseled knit cap. Hi, sweetie, Pitt said to the guard. Is our boat ready? <laughs> he looks like a snazzy Where's Waldo. <laughs> like, Where's Waldo, but he's ready for the clubs. Yeah. And where do they get Dirk rainbow pants so tight so fast? He had those ready to go. I could only assume that they, like, they have the fabulous Icelandic stores at their disposal, or he he borrowed some from somebody at the consulate. Oh, yes. Maybe he'll... With everything he borrows, good grief. <laughs> this outfit was the one thing he salvaged from the helicopter when it was shot down. Oh, naturally. And their Icelandic bad guy host has offered them run of the fleet, so they pick a boat, the... the the henchman that was showing them around didn't anticipate that they'd pick the fancy boat that they picked. It didn't appear fancy. It wasn't a fancy boat, yeah, because it was just a fishing trawler, but Dirk was going from boat to boat inspecting them. And this one has like super powerful engines and a fathometer in it. Yeah, so it was... So he was like, oh yes, this is the boat I need. This captures the aesthetic that I need to paint the Icelandic coast. Yes. He was lisping so hard it rose the tide. <laughs> But in truth, he was just getting the boat that was like the most badass. And of course, this will pay off later. Yes, he's all checked out. There is a lot more setup and payoff in this one. Like Mediterranean Caper had like three setups and three payoffs. And it was usually fairly immediate. This one, it does keep building because we get like a setup and a payoff in almost every chapter here. Chapter 13. My God, does he get lost in the uh, description? He, it, it's like he was wandering in a maze of verbs and nouns. I'm trying to uh, keep my listening and my notes as as fresh as possible, so they're in my oh. mind when I'm when I'm d discussing it. <laughs> well, it's very complex material. We have to keep this straight. So, oh God, this was the chapter where TD 
has a, a little bit, she has coffee spilled on her because they angled the <laughs> boat too far too fast. That was one of the major things I uh, I noted down. Not just spilled hunter. As far as I can tell, she was carrying three cups of coffee and Sandecker guns the engines and she goes down the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> Very inconsiderate. She finally blows her top a little bit after she expresses some dismay at being thrown off a ladder and have boiling liquid just washed over her. She causes some ruffles, leaves the room after complaining, and they're like, oh, she's too young for menopause. She must be on her period. Oh my <laughs> God. It's just... I had that written down, but punctuated with what the fuck. <laughs> you, <can't> look... <laughs> you wrote that down? This was... This was... Clive, this was your masterpiece of, of male chauvinism. You couldn't come up with anything better. She's on her period. Come on, give me some Shakespeare. <laughs> and it does not get better in the next few chapters. Oy. I expect the misogyny. I just want it better. I want it more artful. <laughs> She's on her period. Yeah. Say, you know, she doth on her period, at least. Class it up a bit. Is this lazy misogyny? It is lazy. Lazy, tired misogyny. But also uninspired. I'm very disappointed in, in <laughs> Kussler on this one. So her brief humanity is is just that. It's brief. And then uh, she's put in her place and has a nice hug later with Sandecker. He seems to care about her very much. Oh, yes. So her, her anger is quickly dissipated. <laughs> that That is a phrase that we could apply 10 times in this book because she gets angry, rightfully so. And then the men are just like, Oh my God, stop it, you woman. She's like, oh my God, you're right. I'm sorry. Well, what was I thinking? She shoved, shoved a gag in my mouth. I should Forgive faint. Me. <laughs> That's later. <laughs> <laughs> now in chapter, in chapter 10, she apologizes for spouting off and says, you should just shove a gag in my mouth next time, which is something yep. I've got to say, no woman would ever say that. <laughs> no, she says a lot of things that I don't think any woman would ever say. Yeah, I think he was tired. We was writing this. He was just like, insert woman here. I feel there there might be a few excerpts here for the men writing women subreddit. Oh, just a few. Just a few. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't say much, though. To be fair, it's not a lot of fodder because she's not the she's not the star of the show. Boy, howdy, is she not. She is, for her background, she is squeaky window dressing. Yeah, she's... She's here to offer like womanly insight, which so far consists of like pointing out that Kirsty Fury was terrified of Rondheim, which I mean we kind of we kind of got that vibe, and then being wrong about everything else. Yes, I guess just so Dirk can go. Well, you got that. You got the woman thing right, but now it's man stuff. Then he chops a guy's head off with an axe. But I get ahead of myself. Pun intended. <laughs> Well, it is now, so no, but okay. as always, I ed I edit this to make myself sound smarter. Do it. God damn it, do it. <laughs> I'm just going to make a lot of noise. That's impossible to edit because that's what I do. <laughs> so they take this boat out. They make um, Susie's secretary put on Dirk's outfit. Yes. Her name, really, Titty Galore, not that important. <laughs> She, um, Indy Royal, completely different. Oh, same thing. <laughs> yeah. So she's wearing his 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 muck gay suit. Skin tight rainbow explosion that he's got going on. Yes. Which means Clive's never met a gay man. <laughs> Not knowingly. Or 70s fashion was really out of control. 
one or the other. I wasn't there. But they, they take the boat out in search of finding the location of the uh, jet black plane that was downed. Yes, because Dirk wants to get the ID number off the engines because they can trace that to the manufacturer and figure out who they sold it to. Yes. Which, I mean, kind of makes sense. Yeah. And hey, even in the 70s, they had VIN numbers. There's an actual moment of deduction in this book. Yes. We should all take a moment and bow our heads. <laughs> the problem is they could only scrounge two scuba tanks that they had to smuggle in with their luggage that was like disguised as painting gear. So it has two tanks with 15 minutes of air. Yes. Just because otherwise otherwise this whole scene would go too easily. So we have to throw in a bunch of danger. Oh, Yes. He's borrowed this from the a man at the consulate who happened to have a sport diving hobby. So this is not his equipment. <laughs> the wetsuit still fits, though. Thank God. Oh, be warned, though. If you lend something to Dirk Pitt, it's probably not coming back in the condition <laughs> he lent it out in. <laughs> He's really inconsiderate about stuff like that. They're speed holes, not bullet holes. <laughs> so yeah, on the first dive, uh, he dives down 140 feet in the North Atlantic. And I have to point out, he's looking for a black plane on the bottom of the sea, which is black sand in the dark. And he finds it. This man is capable of anything. <laughs> Damn, Santa would be jealous. <laughs> that took all 15 minutes of his air. So he, he sneaks back on the boat because he's pretty sure that they're being watched from the, from the shore or from somewhere. Yeah, so he crawls up starboard side. Yeah. And he's, um, I'm gesturing wildly because that works for an audio podcast, but yes, he <laughs> crawls on top. He's exhausted and he says something. He found the plane. He couldn't bring anything up. And he's going to go right back down. And Sandecker is like, no, you fool. You'll get the bends that way. You know, the, <laughs> the diving tables as well as anyone. And then he, Sandecker describes the bends, which, yeah. uh, was first, uh, discovered real Brooklyn. There was it was coined in Brooklyn the bends when they built the Brooklyn oh, Bridge. Nice. They would make these caissons to sink the the pillars, and that's oh. when uh, the first reported cases were documented. I'm sure it's happened before then, but they had the diving bills, yep. and the architect for the Brooklyn Bridge was uh, permanently hobbled by it. Oof! He went down there. I'm experimenting with getting audio clips, and I only uh, had time to get this one because I listened to this at work. And I really need to get better about marking down when there's good clips to record. But Sandecker orders uh, Dirk downstairs to have a nap before his next dive, which gives us the line. It's nappy time. I'll send Teedy down with a cup of coffee. And no <laughs> hanky-panky. I know how horny you get after a hard day's dive. Oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot that line. I'm hoping Do I can keep abuse track this of feature in the future. <laughs> Do men keep track? That's our cycles. Is there like a meter? You don't keep track of your <laughs> of your horny cycles? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> don't. Don't add another thing to the list. Fertility, dinner, how many things <laughs> do you have to ton? I feel the horny cycles for men, at least in most of these books, is just like a metronome. <laughs> well, that would that would make some sense. And the can only be good for rhythm. The <laughs> It just was such an odd phrase. Go down for nappy pool. Excellent clip. Excellent. <laughs> World class. And the reader, the um, the performer's tone is, oh, very disturbing. 
I don't want to meet him in a dark alley. I was going to say, it, it's very boys will be boys. I know how horny you get. <laughs> That's the, the tone of a man who's killed someone in an alley. <laughs> For no reason. I was going to say, it sounds like the tone of somebody who was like raised on Leave it to Beaver, where no matter how severe the conversation is, it's going to happen in this tone of voice. Well, it looks like the president's them. been shot. Hot diggity dang. He decapitated the, the, the orphans. Hot diggity. <laughs> so 90 minutes later, he's underwater again. And goddamn, he's sleepy and tired. Hey, but he just had a nap. He's the most tired person who ever lived. Oh, maybe finally, it wasn't as a restful a nap because he wasn't, he didn't pass out or like drift into unconsciousness through a head injury. So know, it yeah. wasn't restful. No REM was achieved. And and there were no nymphomaniacs. As far as we know. I yeah. I don't read closely. And with this book, I could have missed something. And we don't Densely hear- Densely packed nymphomaniac could have been in there somewhere. Yeah, we don't hear what she does during that 90 minutes, but I assume she was up and painting. <clears throat> and uh, he comes up with a, a bit of debris with some initials on it. And But before that, he unleash, un, untethers some boxes that float and send Decker- he hopes Sandecker collects those boxes as they, they come to the surface. Watertight crates. The airplane had some cargo, but he finds out that the ID plates were removed from the engines, and he finds that basically all identifying marks have been scrubbed from this plane. It made me very nostalgic, because I know that VIN numbers are stamped now. What a time for crime when there were plates <laughs> that were just screwed on. Ah, oh, that had to be so much more fun. Basically the same as a gun. They filed the serial numbers off the airplane. But he does find someone's initials carved into the da, 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 the hydraulic cylinder on the nose cone. Yes, but he and said this the, will come in later. He, he said the that it was plates that were taken off with brass screws. Only the brass screws were left behind. Well, yes. I made a note of this because of my terrible upbringing. Because if you could just take the VIN off, VIN numbers off of cars, man, that would have been a whole different universe. My dad would have had <laughs> eighteen cars. <laughs> Usually we just swap license plates. It's way easier. <laughs> so good old times when you could just take VIN plates off. But luckily somebody had done work on the plane and autographed it. Mm -hmm. So they go back to shore. Oh, oh. <laughs> a teensy thing happened in between. Say, man, you're missing all of chapter 11 if you say they go back to shore, man. Oh, yes. I forgot. <laughs> There's a lot of shit happens between here and the shore. Uh, no one's almost died in about a 50 pages, so. Yes, naturally they almost die. Uh, yeah. A boat is but careening towards them. Pitt heads back up. Before that, uh, they investigate what's going on inside those crates that the the ghost murder plane was carrying. Yes, and it turns out those crates were very watertight. Good thing, probably made them buoyant. And when they crack them open on the boat, they see little miniature uh, state capitals or Country capitals, the buildings. Yeah. Dirk recognizes one of them as the pink marble capital building for the Dominican Republic. And they're like ludicrously detailed because you can take them apart so you can see each floor. And the bathrooms have toilet paper that you can unroll, which is how detailed these models are. And I'm pretty sure the first time I read this, because I read a bunch of these when I was a teenager, I was thinking shrink ray. That was immediately <laughs> where my where my mind went. Oh, that's adorable, shrink ray. I was thinking, oh, that. I I knew a lady who made 
miniatures and she just really enjoyed it. She thought it was very zen. And I'm like, you know, it would be zen to make a tiny little roll of toilet paper and maybe make your own paper. <laughs> and, and I realized, oh, I'm really looking forward to retirement. So the miniature game is on point. Actual toilet paper rolls in the little miniature buildings. You could take, you can, it's like um, we blows. You could take the top off and observe them, put the top back on, leave the people alone. Uh-huh. So we've introduced a pretty weird mystery to the story now, because this doesn't get resolved for a bit. No, no. But they have some time to play with their new dollhouses. Mm-hmm. But it does establish that the plane wasn't just sent out to kill them. Like, it was obviously going somewhere and doing something with this cargo. Yes. could All indication where it was that this cargo is protected. Each each model had a, had its own crate. It was waterproofed. There was no funny business about this. this was, these were seriously packed and, carted, and placed on that plane. Mm-hmm. Sandecker repeats uh, that this is once again a bung twister. And TD says, like, I feel like such a monkey. Oh, I hated that part. <laughs> but then Dirk's spidey senses start tingling. Yes. But about monkeys. Why did she want to... Was that a phrase? Did people say say that? I felt like such a monkey? I'm not sure. It, it just seems like she's baffled by this mystery that they've uncovered. Or something. She hasn't reminded the audience that she's dumb lately. So Oh, that. That. Yeah, I meant to, I've been calling my mother-in-law all week asking like pop culture questions about the 70s because <laughs> I'm really deep into Columbo right now. And it's just baffling to me that this was a show that was on the air for years and years and years. I do not understand it. So One more thing. One more thing. <laughs> I, I call my mother-in-law up. I'm like, was Peter Flock a sex symbol? And she was like, I think when you call me, you're going to ask for a ride or something. And then you ask me to <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't call her up to ask her one more thing about the 70s. Is I'm such a monkey a phrase. She would think I lost my mind. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I don't know much about the show Columbo other than, you know, obviously it's Peter Falk. Obviously his whole thing is getting people to confess by doing the whole, just one more question, just one more question. But I do know, and I forget exactly how I, how I found this, uh, Columbo is gigantic in Japan. Really? To the point where there are feature films, there are anime, there are manga, there are several different TV series played by young and old actors, and it's all because the idea of this schlubby but super smart detective who mm. makes all the really well-dressed people look stupid is huge there. Oh, it is. There is a huge Colombo market. It is interesting wealth takedown porn because it's always... A house or a mansion that's really done up. You ha- there is no question the people involved in this murder, wealthy, spoiled, cranky pants, or mm-hmm. a spoiled bitch, or a, a ne'er do well, or the one I just saw, twins. One of them was evil. They actually went with that storyline for grownups. Nice. <laughs> this was a show that was on at night. This was geared towards grownups. <laughs> there were twins. One of them was evil. Uh, wearing lots of corduroy, all turtlenecks. It's very comforting. I got to say, having the same format time after time, it's like they barely changed the the script. But boy, okay. did he take down rich people left and right with his superpower brain. And it's the the economy had to be like, fuck the rich back in the 70s in good form. That, that's the part I'm really enjoying about Columbo. Hey, Columbo's on TV again. What year is it? <laughs> people had a, a 
so much nicotine overdose and you know what? they were just smashed from what i can tell everyone was just liquid <laughs> liquid lunching all the time so they didn't of course you can recycle storylines they didn't remember it last night they don't know who they're married to yeah they want you to sit down watch a show that'll make you comfortable and then you know go to bed completely and, unlike yeah. that nowadays no but now we get into chapter 11 and my notes for chapter 11 are bigger than 9 and 10 combined because not only do we have like this wild bonkers action scene, we also get an entire parlor scene where they break down like a lot of the plot. So I I thought the boat action scene was boring. It kind of was. There's very little direct stuff. After the uh, Honeywell sliding on the ice was so vividly written and mm-hmm. it put you there. This was just like action sequence insert here. Yeah, because th- this was him nerding out about boat stuff. This was him like nerding out about these Sterling engines on the fishing boat and how fast they can go and their acceleration and the turning radius. Oh, yes. I'm already getting bored. Stop that talk right now. Don't, and they're, don't alienate nope. our female listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but they're up against a hydrofoil, which I assume must have been like super sick in the 1970s because they, they can hear a boat heading towards them. And I don't know how he deduces it's a hydrofoil. I think it's because it, it sounds like a jet engine. And at some point, it's gone from a, a, a sunny day on the North Atlantic to complete pea soup fog, which maybe it happens that, that quickly, but it's also very convenient for this for the action. So Dirk realizes that it's a hydrofoil. We can't outrun them. They'll be outmanned and outgunned. So it, they do the thing where Dirk outlines his plan, but they don't tell the reader. They just have no. They, they just they just have the words. Dirk outlined his plan, and TD is horrified and says, "Oh my God, that's murder!" And then they yell at her <laughs> with the <laughs> phrase, "I don't have time to explain the facts of life to a female." Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. This she keeps her job. <laughs> she doesn't just walk away from these people. Her self esteem is through the floor. Well, she makes great coffee. Oh, she must. Be, her parents must be so proud. But she also does, at some point, specifically point out that she doesn't earn this little money just to get yelled at. And then, like, Sandecker hugs her, and she's like, oh, fine. <laughs> I know if I'm upset with my wages, a, a warm hug from my boss will fix absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And he or she should never try that. I will stab them in the throat. That is that is the state of labor in the U.S. I have a lot of notes written down for, for what happens next. But really, it's just a boat fight in the fog, and they use that their they use their more maneuverable forty foot fishing boat. It turns into a dime to literally do donuts, donuts around the hydrofoil, and they hit it with Molotov cocktails till it explodes. Which is it's just light murder. <laughs> it's a hundred foot long hydrofoil. There's a lot of people on this boat. <laughs> to be fair, uh, when. It pulls up alongside the the first time. Dirk just straight up kills one of them with an axe. Oh like, yeah, they're they're getting boarded, and like the first guy hops down. Dirk puts an axe in him, and then the boat takes off. Yes, you like, and then it's donuts and fire until it explodes. And you're right. In, in hindsight, it is kind of boring, actually. <laughs> it it just was like action sequence. Like, yeah, they put a quarter in a vending machine. Now came an action sequence. It's boat fight in the fog. Their boat gets shot to shit like three times, but everyone's okay. Yeah, because unlike with the big shark, in this instance, you need a smaller boat. We're going to need a smaller boat. 
the hydrofoil explodes. They realize the blast was too big. It must have had explosives on it. And then we get a scene that's almost as long as the entire boat fight where TD has like a nervous breakdown and then Dirk yells at her again. (laughs) Whatever this lady's making is not enough. And I did did like that there must have been explosives on on board because that lessens the, the, the murder. It's yeah. It's a it's a, a way of minimizing the blame for Dirk. So he's less of a villain or a bad guy for you know the the light murder of mm-hmm. everyone on the for all souls on that hydrofoil. May they rest in peace in their watery graves without their families knowing where they are. <laughs> Missing them well, forever. They'll, they'll be easy to find. They'll be right next to the to the black airplane. <laughs> <laughs> In the, in the perpetual fog that now lays there. <laughs> Ron Heim is just like stacking up all of his most expensive toys on the North Atlantic uh, seafloor. Tau Iceland makes new land. That's what yeah. I've heard. Surtsey Island, and now we're going to have the uh, Rondheim junk heap. <laughs> now with more corpses. It's almost an archipelago. Yeah. So she's horrified at all the killing that just happened. Dirk yells at her. She looks in his eyes and realizes she's hysterical, and she apologizes. This woman was beaten by her parents. <laughs> and possibly Sandecker off camera. Because Sandecker says, Santa. as long as <laughs> as long as she keeps bringing them coffee, they'll forgive her. And she, direct quote, obediently returns t- to the galley, while Dirk and Sandecker smile in, direct quote, masculine understanding. <laughs> Dear listeners, this book is getting Topper rougher. just smiled in a most unnerving way. <laughs> My skin crawled and left the room because he smiled with masculine understanding. Mine was sarcastic smiling. <laughs> I know, I know. I hope. It was, it was. <laughs> That's also how naturally I smile. I, I just remember going to the podiatrist and they tell you to walk normally and suddenly you're like, what do I do with my feet? Where do I... It's like watching somebody on TV for the first time. They don't know what to do with their hands. They're just all over the place. There was this guy who used to do uh, a skeptics podcast, and he had a special called Here Be Dragons. And I love a skeptic podcaster, and I went on the Patreon, and I bought the special Here Be Dragons. Uh, and it was fine, except the the presenter did not know what to do with his hands. I felt so bad for him. It's <laughs> like pockets, hips, folded, composed. He had like a cycle. Shut. Yes, hips, knees, shoulders, toes. Yes. Back when when uh, Scott Adams wasn't creepy and Dilbert was actually funny, there was a really funny one where I miss those days. Nineteen ninety two was a great year. (laughs) There was a really funny one where Dilbert was walking with Liz, who was his girlfriend at the time, talking about how he doesn't know what to do uh, with his hands. So she holds one of his hands, and the other one just starts flapping wildly. I feel that in my soul. I identified (laughs) with that one. (laughs) All right. So, so, uh, Tibby Galore Royale with a cherry on top was sent to her room. (laughs) To make more coffee. To make more coffee. Because that makes her feel better after seeing (laughs) large-scaled human death. Yes. Again, they're going down to a watery grave. Their families will never know what happened to them. Darkness upon darkness. Ashes to ashes. But coffee makes it better. And it's probably black because they're men. That's the way they like it. <laughs> Menly coffee. It's black. She has to realize that if she's going to hang around Dirk Pitt and you know and pine after him, she's going to have to get used to the the uh, the trail of dead bodies. Interesting kink. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm not here to yuck her yum, uh, as the kids say. I assume that's what happened with the lady from the last book, because they they sailed off into the sunset together. And by the time this book starts, he's with a redhead in California, so she's long gone. So maybe it's just like a, a passing fancy for the women. It's not a kink. It's like a, oh, we'll try it once. Yeah. And it's not like, a proclivity wow, yet. <laughs> that was exciting. Now to get a restraining order. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Now to change. He, he, Pitt is so even keeled. Why would they need a restraining order? This, <laughs> his tone is so even. So their boat somehow still works. Oh, they, they make it. Let me back up. Dirk is in barred scuba gear. His head has broken the water. The crates bobbed around him, presumably, and uh, he hears Sandecker singing a song in his low baritone voice, echoing across the waves. That's how he finds his way to the ship to board the ship before the boat bite. Oh, yes. I missed the singing. Yes. And uh, I had a point there that just flew right out of my head. Uh, <laughs> oh, he drops the scuba gear. He's treading water, and the, his weight belt and scuba tank are too heavy. So he takes them off and they sink, as a weight belt would do. It's not right. his stuff. I kept... It's not yours, buddy. Bring the stuff back from once. <laughs> I think he's hoping that the U.S. government will just write a check for this one. Oh, he's not putting this in his notes. That guy's never getting a coupon. <laughs> Where do they work at the consulate? <laughs> okay, so now we'll skip back. He yes. now uh, the the boats made to shore. They presume that they're being watched at all times. Yeah, they they have the whole parlor scene because Dirk realizes that uh, somebody must have been, or no, Dirk realizes that the whole reason their boat, the Grimsey, was at the dock in the first place was because that was the dock that was going to be used to follow them when they took like thought, the fancier ship. Oh, so there was this like. There was this sneaky but overpowered boat. So they took the wrong boat, assuming that they would take the cabin cruiser. So now Dirk knows that it must have been Rondheim all along. And Rondheim must have assumed that Dirk was onto him and took this boat on purpose. Dirk wasn't onto him and took the boat by accident. But then Rondheim sent the hydrofoil out to kill him. So now Dirk knows that it was Rondheim. And this whole parlor scene, just like. We should make a chart to go with this. <laughs> this parlor scene right here is very short, but it is really a conspiracy board. There's a lot of threads being pulled together like all at once. So he must have known we were diving because he saw my bubbles in the North Atlantic from 20 miles away, which makes sense. Uh, he must have known there was no identifying features on the plane, so it must be the cargo that we were after. So it's the cargo we weren't supposed to see. So it's something so important for those dollhouse capital buildings that he had to kill us. The, the leaps he makes are astounding. Yeah. All, always accurate. He is omniscient. But they are crazy monkey pants, uh, batshit predictions he's making. Like, the, these are these are ruminations of not a beautiful mind. This is a deeply disturbed person who happens to be right. No, this will not hold up in court, and it certainly will not hold up in, like, international relations, because this is still a foreign national... Uh, that they're dealing with, and they still don't know exactly who's tried to kill them. But I mean, Dirk knows. Dirk's Dirk, Dirk's read ahead a few chapters. Sure. In in this universe, <laughs> um, the rich the rich guy will get taken down. I love fiction for that. Yeah. So chapter twelve pick uh, gets into a cab with a nice, friendly American sounding cab driver. He pegs the guy. And he's like, "Oh, this guy's Midwest for sure." 
There was one more thing at the end of 11. Uh, Sandecker oh, makes the very good point of how do we find out what these buildings mean? And Dirk, Dirk really spends a lot of this book taunting people. So he says, easy, we'll ask him. We'll just return the models to the consulate and say we found them floating on the surface. And then he parks the boat, which has been shredded with machine gun fire, and leaves oh, yes. a note on the dashboard that said, sorry for the mess, we were attacked by a swarm of redneck fuzzworts. And he signs it, Admiral Sandecker. Admiral Sandecker. <laughs> which seems like a little bit of a bitch move, putting it on the boss. I mean, kind of like, if you're going to be the badass, own it, write your own name. <laughs> but then for the humor, so I don't know what to root for in this humor or badassness. Oh, tough choice. Don't forget, Dirk is uh, the, the most fabulous man in the Navy right now, so it's probably uh, more on the humorous side. It really depends which Navy. The yeah. Britons. The British were really over the top in the 70s. <laughs> Flouncing with pirate shirts the whole nine. My goodness. The most swishy man in the Navy. Oh, boy. There are <laughs> jokes there uh, that I will not be taking. So Pitt gets in the cab, and it's an American guy who's kind of milk toast, Middle of the road, but he knows how to drive. And he speaks Icelandic. I'm not sure you even need to. Most of the people in Iceland speak English. It's like 95% speak English. But remember when... Dirk was found by the Icelandic family. Yes. This is a this is the seventies. Writing a story about a land far, far away. He's exoticizing it. Oh, absolutely. The locals are stone faced and stoic, and just straight <laughs> to the point. And in this land far, far away, you don't know that they all speak English. How could you? We know nothing about these Icelanders. Other, they just eat ammonia fish and <laughs> something lukefisk. And make fabulous sweaters. Oh, I thought you know, Oh, Norwegians. I wonder if the Norwegians and the Icelands, did they fight over the sweaters? Uh, probably. My wife has uh, books on Icelandic knitting and Norwegian knitting, so I'm positive that there's some some beef going back a couple hundred years. Oh, probably. And, and there's probably some, like, in those patterns, some low-key white nationalist symbolism that, that's now been adopted. So <laughs> Here is one of the many Icelandic sweaters my uh, wife has knit. Wow. That's intricate. Beautiful. Yep. She went bright as hell colors on this one. Most of them are a lot more natural shades, but we got about twenty of these. Well, that was a, that's a complicated kind of top there. That's I, mm -hmm. I'm very impressed. She's very industrious. She is. I think if she ever stopped knitting, she might explode. Or she'll do that hand thing that you yes exactly before <laughs> with both arms. I'll hold one of the needles, and the other will just start flapping. <laughs> Stabbing anybody who gets near us. If I meet her, and I, I hope she someday, and she does that, I'll, I will laugh. I will <laughs> pee my pants. I will laugh so far if she does that. I don't know what to do that on. I'll make sure she's knitting when she guest stars. <laughs> okay. If, if when <laughs> she gets home, she she walks and knits. Anyway, cab, yes. Yo, cab. Cab, yes. And Corn-fed uh, American cabbie. Yes. But he speaks Icelandic because, you know, he's inscrutable that way in this foreign land. And he says, uh, Dirk says, take me to the airport, General Aviation, where they would fix any old plane that wanders into the shop. Cab driver hastily complies and gets through uh, guard shacks, like any guard shacks anywhere. He can talk his way through. Dirk is very impressed and goes to speak to uh, the aviation pit crew. They're all dressed like ice cream men, which comes up a lot in these books. <laughs> he does love those white suits. Yes, the ice cream men must have been trendsetters for the time. Uh, and he 
he yells out, who has these initials? I didn't write down the initials. Uh, SC. SC. So yes. So who here is South Carolina? Somebody pops up, says that's me. There's a lot of uh, masculinity that takes place in the next few lines. Like a lot of yeah. male posture. That is, like Dirk should have had his ass handed to him. Yeah, but don't forget he's an Air Force captain. He could still go missing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like he is absolutely being a dick. He is taunting them. He he does a lot of taunting in this, but it always goes his way because you can taunt good people and they'll never do anything about it. If good people never misstep or have errors in judgment or just like hit too hard and you fall on the curb. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. Oh, no, it never happens. So he is a real bastard to this aviation guy. He's stepping on his neck to get some information and the other aviation crew are circling. I don't think this is how it would go down in real life. Either this guy whose neck is being stepped on, the people around him were like, he deserves that. He had that coming. Yeah. And people depart. Or the guy who's doing the stepping is going to get murdered. I think he he has to prove he's the alpha. I think that's what's going on here. I've had coworkers. I've had coworkers I don't even like. If somebody comes in and stands on their neck, I'd at least push them. Very least. (laughs) Yes. Very least. (laughs) I think so. Like, I don't like you, George, but goddamn, what was this stranger that's stepping on your neck? But I forget, he's an American, he's probably armed to the teeth, and they probably know this. In in any modern show, this is where, you know, the five huge henchmen would appear out of the shadows, and each one would grab, like, a giant wrench, and you would have a 10-minute-long one-shot fight scene. Where they fight one at a time? Yes. No matter what year it's filmed. <laughs> 1965, 2023, one, one guy at a time. Yes, so that's not what they do, but... It seems like it's building to a, a group fight, but he earns the respect of the the airmen on the ground, and he gets the information he needs. And then he pisses the guy off again, trying to get his uh, squad number. He scares the guy again by stepping up to him. <laughs> the guy gives him his squad number. He said, what was that for? Why'd you scare me again? He's like, I'm going to send you a crate of booze. And the guy's like, oh, shucks, mister. I'd serve unto you any day of the week. <laughs> you only kicked my ass a little bit. Twice in front of all my coworkers for no reason. <laughs> but now they're best friends. But golly, I'd like to serve under a man like you. Yeah, like this is real alpha male mentality, which I'm pretty sure has been disproven a couple of times since then. But Yeah, once or twice. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this is not how communication works. Like, they have very co- coherent communication after the violence, which really doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, this really just reminds me of all the talk uh, online lately, like, well, not lately, but in the last couple of years, you know, Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson always talking about the implied violence of male interactions. And I think they grew up on Jordan Peterson would be in the right age group. Uh, Tate would be in, you know, he grew up as a kid in the 90s. But there's always the implied violence when a man meets another man. And they're each sizing the other one up and imagining, you know, how would I kick his ass and could I kick his ass and what would I do to kick his ass? And I really don't think that's as true or widespread as most people think. I'm mostly worried about shaking a hand too hard or too soft and getting a permanent, <laughs> permanently bad reputation with this person I've just met. I'm, I am not thinking about how I would kick anyone's ass. Generally, like when you step into a business I'm meeting, thinking how right? I would avoid getting, <laughs> avoid getting into a fight. Even if I could kick his ass, I don't want to get into a fight with you, dude. I just met you. And, and you've done MMA. You've been punched in the face. You've been yeah, many times. You know how do punches feel? Do they feel like 
tickles or do they hurt? I mean, they hurt, but also if uh, if the adrenaline's up, they don't really hurt. Oh, okay. All right. At one point, I like I addressed something to the referee because I was being uh, given orders, and I admit I let my guard down a bit, and I was talking to the ref, and I got punched twice while I was talking to the ref, and I I was didn't notice that at all. <laughs> oh, you were just too busy getting your information out. <laughs> yeah, like. What do you mean? I'm saying words wow, here. I'm working. I'm I'm walking here. But basically, I'm wording here. Yeah, I, I don't think people realize that it doesn't quite go the way it does in the movies. But at the same time, you will have two guys get into a fight. Each one will land fifty punches, and nobody is in danger of getting their ass kicked. Oh, because you are doing so much lame, superficial damage. I think yeah, uh, especially if you're equally matched, like two men, like Dirk and this guy was not described as especially small or especially large. So. Yeah. I envision them equally sized. That's where, you know, main character super ninja skill power comes in. Yes, that's where every punch lands and every foot finds a neck. Uh, yes. <laughs> which is a bold move because he, he he meets this guy. The guy's sitting down, so he pulls the chair and the guy's thrown to the ground. His head hits. And that's how he gets his stuff on his neck. You could just kill a guy by doing that <laughs> on a tarmac or on the concrete. Food. Just pull a chair practice that open then you don't get the information then what kind of u.s henchman are you you're you're a bad spy you're a bad new agent then but the guy lives and he gets some uh jack daniels or jim beam sent to him later on mm -hmm. uh but and then dirk is such a cheapskate he's like oh i have to find a way for sandecker to expense this Dude, spend <laughs> some of your own money you're not paying rent anywhere he's already expensing a 40-foot souped up fishing boat so What's the booze? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to do the paperwork on that one. He didn't get a receipt. <laughs> Sandecker just rolls his eyes and goes, oh, that Dirk. <laughs> a few years ago, a um, an engineer that his obituary made the papers, and he was a wonderful engineer. He designed whatever he had to design. But then in his obituary, which he wrote himself, he said he just went to college and he paid for the first semester and never attended. But somehow his name matriculated. Matric Related through, I have a real hard time with that word. <laughs> and he got a diploma and he just went with it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm thinking in the 60s and 70s, nobody was vetted. You could just bluster your way through. Maybe they did just expense whole yachts. Like, oh, we'll just write this <laughs> off. It was all chaos. People just like walked into colleges like MIT and like, hey, I want to go here. And somebody with a stamp took their money and said, yes, you attend. Or, or it was just easy. I feel rising through the ranks was also easier too. Years ago, at one of the best jobs I've ever had, but it's it, it's always uh, the right hand, left hand. So it was the best job I've ever had in the least enjoyable office full of the most miserable people ever. Oh, where was the pay? So was the pay great the, or middle or? The pay was also not great. Uh. But uh, my boss was a great guy. And he was basically second in charge of the company, and they used this proprietary software uh, from Germany that uh, was originally used to design watches and got repurposed into designing timber because it, it could export directly to, you know, those giant CNC machines that could cut wood into any shape. Uh -huh. And he and he worked with them on the software because they were one of, of the premier CNC places in Canada on doing all, all these iterations of this software back and forth. But the thing is, all he was trained in was forklift duty, and he somehow found himself inside doing drawings, and over the next 20 years, 
became a key integral part of this worldwide software package and working for one of the largest like wood fab companies in Canada. That's, and he's the forklift guy. <laughs> he's the forklift guy. That's that's wonderful. They wouldn't let you near that shit without a degree now. No, now you need 18 levels of accreditation, uh, more yep. experience than you have years on earth, and uh, then you make entry-level pay. Why is the forklift guy in the building? Someone get rid of him. <laughs> nah, you just do that. I miss that. Well, I it, don't miss that. I I miss this thing that never happened. I, I do have a nostalgia and I, just a wonderment for how easy it was to just do things. There was a lady who would rob museums of paintings because she looked fancy. Like she would wear her nice dress and some pearls and she looked like um she would look like she worked there, like a docent, like someone who'd volunteer, a fancy older woman who would tell you about the Monets and the Chateaubriands and the Cabernet Sauvignons and the and the Renoirs and all of the things that were important, right? Mm -hmm. She would just go in there with a idea around her neck, block firmly up to a painting, remove it, and put it in her car and leave. It's before alarms, before... You just had to have a card on your neck. Yeah. Those those magnetic strips really ruin the game for a lot of uh, trespassing into higher levels of income. Now they can track you, yeah. Anyway, uh, I oh, don't yeah, remember... We, we re wandered. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember exactly how 12 ends, because I oh, know he gets... Really meets the cab driver this time. It's the cab driver is NSA, and his name is oh, Jerome right. Lilly. I'm not this, there yet because I wrote it down. So, <laughs> and uh, Jerome, I had a cousin named Jerome. He ran away and joined the newspaper industry. I hope he's fine wherever he is. He went to journalism. I assume he just died in a field with the dinosaurs. Poor guy, never had a chance. Rough. <laughs> but yes, we find out that the cab driver was the one who killed. There was a whole action sequence happening during the chapter 11 action sequence. There was a mirrored action sequence on land. This guy was, the cab driver was looking out for, for Pitt. He was his guardian angel and he killed the, uh, the, the boatsman that was on the rocks looking through a telescope, which was the reflection that Pitt saw. I'm not sure that murder was strictly necessary, but okay. He happens upon him and the, the Jerome guy turns the knife that the henchman had against him against the henchman and murders him. He said he apologizes. He, he says, I went, I went overboard. I could have gotten information out of the guy. Like, yeah, no shit. This is why you don't go right to kill. <laughs> don't don't set your your gun to kill. Set it to maim or stun, even stun. Kneecap. You haven't had many of the, the 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 hits to the back of the head that renders people people unconscious for convenient amounts of time. Doesn't make an appearance yet. We go right to, to killing in this book. Not even hobbling. <laughs> Nobody's getting a peg leg, right to murder. That is one one of the best lines from Firefly, uh, where preacher says, "You know, the Lord says thou shalt not kill, but the Bible is rather fuzzy on the subject of kneecaps." Oh, that is a great line. <laughs> I butchered it, but I love that line. Made me fall in love with that guy, the the actor. And then I saw his uh, television show where he was the mystery writer with Team with oh, the Cop Castle, and I was like, "Oh, oh no, this is this is he has uh, judgment issues, or he." had to pay yeah. taxes or something. This is terrible. And now he's on the show where he's a rookie cop. He's like a 45-year-old rookie cop. If he's 45, I'd eat your hat. I just turned 45. That man is 55. Or oh, he's 55, but I'm sure he's playing a 45-year-old rookie cop. Oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> but he'll always be Captain Hammer to me. <laughs> every, every once in a while, I, 
I think, oh, how old is this person? How old is that person? I went to look up how old Jennifer Lopez once was once because I was a kid. I remember seeing her on In Living Color. Yeah. She was a fly girl. I was listening to a podcast mentioned that tonight. So that's really freaky time. Wow. Really <laughs> weird. But I remember doing that and thinking, how old is she? And I went to look it up. And this was 10 years ago. I was around 35. And I see she's around 36, 37. She's getting younger. IMBD was changing the year she was born <laughs> as I was on the website. I was like, what that's the excellent. hell? I'm like, how is she now my age? I remember watching her as I was a little kid and she was a grown up dancer. <laughs> and the year, I guess it was a drop down menu because you could see the the year scrolling forward. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, according the... to Wikipedia, <laughs> she's born in 1969. Oh, okay. They must have had to have a reckoning with reality then because the early aughts was one particular place for information and it's now there's... TMZ. Now there's places that cross-reference. You have the Wikipedia, but man, mm -hmm. she trying to manage her age back then. Do you remember the show Heroes? I loved the show Heroes. I almost missed a trip to Philadelphia for watching the show Heroes. Dang, I really liked the the first two seasons. But I I remember looking up stuff on IMDb and various fan sites and finding out like I would find information that was contradictory, and years later I would find out that it was completely wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's all. Managed, and if it's not managed, it's hearsay or projection, or it's like the how much is a celebrity worth website? And mm -hmm. I swear they just guess. Yeah, so uh, Masioka, who plays Hero on Heroes, somewhere in the wiki, it said that he actually spoke no English and learned all of those lines phonetically. Like, no, he speaks flawless English. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, that's really impressive. No, that's just a straight up lie. <laughs> I, I would. I would go into James Brown's Wikipedia and just change his height. Because <laughs> it was like, he came across as tall. I'll just make him taller. And I just kept, I was like, he deserved to be, he didn't want to be known as a short guy. He wanted to be known as a giant. <laughs> so I, I support lying on the internet. For harmless things, fine. For that poor guy who said didn't speak English, that's kind of fucked up. He's if he spoke English perfectly. And that reminds me of uh, something else I found. So after watching Mystery Men, uh, you know, always looking up the cast, and on his IMDb page, Wes Studi was listed as six foot eight. Oh. And I believed it, and I just assumed he was a really tall guy, and they used the usual Hollywood tricks to make him seem like a, a more normal height. No, he, he's five foot eight, but he was straight up six foot eight on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> well, six foot eight, there's like this, um, every woman in her dating profile says she wants a man that's tall, but there is too tall. And I think six eight is really when you get like undateably tall, like you can't <laughs> just buy, like you're going to buy a guy's sweater. It's not going to be off the rack. How do you handle gifts at all? Yeah. You're going to take him a ride someplace. Can he fit in your car? Can he fit <laughs> in your house? Six foot eight would be to so tall. I had an uncle who was six foot nine and he's built like me, like we're a big family. And the thing is he was a car salesman. And the running gag was he would just scare people into buying cars. Did he just bludgeon them? <laughs> Did he just pick them up like little Lilliputians and put them in the car and they felt <laughs> compelled to obey? But he's just like a super nice dorky guy who happens to be like six foot nine, 350 pounds. He's just this massive friendly guy who wants to sell you a car. I think he, I never saw him work, but I assume he had to try so hard not to frighten people. Pius. Because he he looms. Yeah. It's a duck to go through doors. Did he fit in your house? 
when he came over to visit. <laughs> did you have what? did you have to bring him dinner outside on the plate? <laughs> he fit in our house, but he was also one of the only only people bigger than my dad, who was, you know, six foot four, two fifty, ex cop. A lot of the men in my family are about the same size. Okay. That you are related, that makes sense. Sometimes you have to re- regress to the mean. So you might have like a <laughs> normal sized kids in the family sometime if your kids yeah. reproduce. They don't have to. That's not the meaning of life. Whatever they choose is great. But if you do get grandkids, that might be short. My middle kid and my wife are both 5'11", and right now they're like they're deadlocked for height. So she's hoping that she grows just another quarter inch to be taller than mom. Okay, yeah, you want to be mom. <laughs> taller than mom, I can do it. <laughs> Tell her to eat her protein. These kids yep. do not eat protein. Well, she's already 5'11". They, they only want Pringles. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Her and Pringles. <laughs> you, you said the food. Like, we'll just find empty Pringles tubes in her room. Yeah. I went to the yeah, dollar it, store. I think that's a universal teenager food group. All right. Well, we should probably end the episode here, and we will pick this up next week. Have a good night. All right. You too. This has been Custler Hustlers. Your hosts have been Topper and Nancy. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kussler Hustlers.